Hello, everybody. And Welcome now. to the fucking podcast. Again. Yeah. Once more. Sultry tones. It's, the sul- <laughs> it's all about the sultry tones. Hello, on the sultry tones of metallurgy. Tonight we'll be discussing such romances as uh, Napalm Death Scum and... Uh, that's screaming like Bloody napalm Bob. deaths come <laughs> dude what if that's really what they meant to... no come on no think, but that would be think great outside of the box it they were influenced by discharge oh get it, get it? oh fuck oh shit all right so uh, what are we talking about today death metal the history of death metal. Death metal. Death metal. Death metal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I gotta be honest, man. This is... I feel like I'm kind of nervous about this episode in particular because it's... We actually put it off by a week. We did, and it's... The it's, research has been daunting. It's super daunting. Yeah. Because yeah. this isn't as well documented as... Really, as the black metal was. Yeah. I think it's not as concise yeah, maybe I that's feel like it. the the black metal was like clear in its inception and yeah. When in this, you have to dive into like bands throughout the that the era, right? It, yeah, and, it's and sort then of... each one gives you different kind of points, and you're like, oh my god, there's how many bands? And you know what I really think it is is tape trading. Yes, yeah, like the demos. just so much tape trading, and everyone, and I feel like everyone that's really a fan of metal or music in general knows the feeling of like really getting into music and being excited for like the next band that you find. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what was kind of fueling. Everything. You know, what was kind of cool about that too. Sorry to butt in, but, uh, actually I found a lot of the old demos like um, the, that people would put on, uh, uh, YouTube. Yeah. That's what I thought. And I was like listening to them and I, I was getting excited. I'm like, oh my god, this sounds so different than the album version. By Dude. the way, yeah, there's a specific demo I want to find. Which one? Uh, I think it's Morbid Angels, one of their first demos, where they found a singer who sang in falsetto like King Diamond. Oh my god, that exists. Yes. Oh, I gotta. It w- I, think- I didn't. I. I mean, I. I read that, but I didn't know that the demo was like available somewhere in the ether for me to hear. I. I, I don't know if it is, but they. They did mention it. Okay. And our. Well, I think our main research for this was uh, a book called "Choosing Death: The History of Death Metal and uh, the Improbable History of Death Metal and Grindcore." Yeah. Who's by it by? Albert Mudrian, with an introduction by John Peel. And. My research was done by scouring the vile places of the internet. Yeah, he's all dirty. Yeah, I feel filthy. Yeah. Vile. Good Cannibal Corpse album. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we all know death metal started from somewhere. How about you want to start us off, Dino? First of all, this is Dino. And this is Matt. Holy fuck, we didn't introduce ourselves. <laughs> this is Martin. Welcome. Yeah, so um, at I, all... What? I was going to add something to Go. that. No. Please? <laughs> so, um, there, you know, there is a... What is it? Genealogy? 
kind of? Sure. Yeah, perfect work. So, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, we have traditional heavy metal. No. Everybody to start. Every, yeah, sure. Everybody thinks it's like, oh, yeah. You know, um, a little bit of Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. Again, it varies. You ask different people, they all say different bands. So I'm just going about the general. And then from the 70s, morphs into the late 70s with new wave British heavy metal. So we got, I think, uh, Judas Priest, uh, Iron Maiden, Saxon, Motorhead, Venom, something right? <laughs> um, <laughs> then yeah and, and, and then it because venom actually had a lot of influence to both black and death metal yeah let's not forget about Just, that yeah yeah okay and so from and new Thrash. wave yeah okay okay and then so from the new wave british heavy metal we have speed metal and that was in the late 70s and early 80s so we have like Exciter, Annihilator, except some people say except, but who? Yeah, like I said, you accept it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dumb. from speed metal, people were trying to make it even more faster. Mm-hmm. Thrash is born. We have Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica. Metallica, Metallica, and Slayer. Slayer. Yeah, exactly. And from thrash metal, it actually kind of splits, I felt. Okay. And the two the splits were black metal and death metal. All right. So that's where we are right now. Some might disagree. Yeah. Again. All right. Here we go. Here <laughs> we go. Yeah. Well, because it, it, punk has something to do it, with it. Yes, it does. I agree. And I think that's that's where... I think Martin and I get started. Kind of. <laughs> Did you forget my name? Yeah, I forgot your name, man. <laughs> you and me, man. Um, so it, it starts our journey with uh, uh, Nicholas Bullen uh, from England. And basically uh, a teenage kid listening to stuff like well, punk bands, The Mess, Undead, Hatred, and Civil Defense. Um, he, and yeah, I find it funny because this is very punk, but he used to listen to old movie soundtracks on his mom's mono record player and was never a big fan of Counterpoint or Bridges. <laughs> and I'm just like, really? Yeah, I guess so. Just like key changes, like yeah, he was like yeah, he yeah, he was like that ruins the whole like feel of the song, or like it ruins the emotion. And I was like, I fucking love Counterpoint, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is that is that why uh, his songs ended up being like thirty seconds? Some of them, but yeah, some of them are are a second and a half and shit. Yeah, sometimes when I listen to that, I actually feel like I'm my like early years of having sex. Like this is. As long as it lasts. <laughs> Damn, dude, just the tip. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm joking, obviously. Hey, we man, t- sometimes we get excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, are we man. talking about the half second song called You Suffer? Yes. <laughs> we are talking about You Suffer. Um, yeah, so Nicholas Bullen, um, influenced by uh, hardcore punk scene, 
bands like Discharge and Crass. Um, and those were bands that were kind of crossover between like almost well, like metal and punk in a way. Right. Like it was I this was in the early eighties, like eighty, eighty one. Well, I think that, that his um I think that he met Miles Ratlitch or Rat in eighty nine. I mean in seventy nine. And then I think in like oh, yeah. I think that they actually started their project in like uh eighty eighty one. Yeah, which was um well I think they had many different names to it. Um fuck. Eventually though. They ended up naming themselves uh, uh, Napalm Death because they were both really into watching like sort of like Vietnam films. Yes. And like uh like war movies where people were just dropping like shit tons of napalm on forests and burning people alive. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, fans of uh Apocalypse Now, like yeah, just all those seventies or Vietnam movies. Yeah. Um and they uh they were about 14 or 15 years old when they started playing together and they they had a demo with a track on it called Crucifixion of of Possession which started to circulate and get them more uh well I, I want to say airtime but it's all in the tape trading you yeah, know it's right. a very underground scene you know the the interesting interesting thing to me about the tape trading and sorry I'm drinking. The interesting thing to me about the tape trading is so am um, I. <laughs> as Dino takes this wig mm-hmm. is that like it was all the bands trading with each other almost yes. is what it seemed like. Yeah. And it was like this sort of movement toward like everything was was all a part of one thing that I kept seeing as I was as I was doing the research and reading was that everybody was using speed and using like the gutturalness or the shortness of the tracks as like a part of like an expression or mm-hmm. or a part of like a ridiculousness of of what was going on and it was all sort of political in nature right um yeah but yeah punk punk, punk is kind of like that though yeah, yeah. And napalm death was like and i think still is like that yeah, a lot of their their music still revolves around political topics. Yeah, and whatnot. Last album was really good. I liked yeah. that. It didn't Corey. Yeah, Corey reviewed it. Yeah, yeah. That was like our third episode, I think. Third Something podcast? like that. Yeah. He and I were just talking last night, and he he was talking about listening to some. Anyways, let's let's get back on point. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, so they were listening to bands like uh, Siege and Deep Wound. I think were big influences of the scene because of their speed. Yeah, and it's kind of a common topic within all these bands, is just speed going as fast as you humanly can, just because you're a teenager and you want to fuck shit up. Right. Basically, yeah. <laughs> no, and it's the it. And again, it's kind of like punk rock, where it's the big fuck you to. Mom, dad, society, whatever, whatever it be, right? Yeah, fuck you, whatever. <laughs> fuck you, man. Yeah, so their first their first gig was um, outside of their where they lived anyways, was um, in, was due because of this guy named Digby Pearson, yeah. who got a hold of their tapes and came into contact with them 
and basically got them a gig in uh, the Nottingham area. And the gig was like basically like a who's who of um, of like the punk scene at the time. I want to say like Antisect was there, and there were just like tons and tons of like uh, really well known um, punk acts at the time. And um, Napalm SS. Death, yeah, like uh, Napalm Death ended up opening for the show. Yeah um and it's insane to me to think of like this 14 and 15 year old kids like opening for like all these really really um like well-known or like at the time of who's who of like punk bands yeah yeah um but i mean at the time and i don't remember is were all those punk punk bands really well known or was it just well known within the group well in in reading well the thing is in reading what uh the interview with digby pearson he was he he's the one who said it was like a who's who yeah so that's why that's where i'm kind of pulling that from uh it's possible that maybe it wasn't like the most popular stuff but it's it seemed like it was like kind of a big deal and that digby sort of had this way of um because he was an insider in that area all the like local clubs and bars would book through him so outside acts would sort of still have to go through him in order to book through these clubs so it seemed like he actually had some control over the scene in the nottingham area yeah and digby pearson i guess to give a little or i guess to jump ahead a little bit is he's uh the founder of earache records and earache is kind of the backbone to this whole movement really yeah and so where is eric uh based out of england okay yeah and he um the the, eric came about because a lot of the gigs were per like eric presents right right so that that was kind of the inception and this um this main area that many bands played was called the mermaid pub and uh Justin Broderick with uh, with Napalm Death said it's the roughiest, roughest, dirtiest shithole you could imagine, <laughs> and yeah. I think it fit like 150 people. And Sounds think, like the pound. And, and the funny thing, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that they were saying that um, that the people who ran it didn't really seem to like care too much about who played. Like you could just sort of come up and be like, "Hey, I like to play here," and they'd be like, "All right, these are the open spots. Like, just pick one." Yeah. And just sign it was up. a free for all. Yeah, it was like just go at it and like fuck shit up whatever yeah. you want to do and uh napalm death actually over time ended up becoming like a main sort of regular act at the mermaid yeah. like they would just play there all the time yeah and i'm not even sure if like even in the beginning if there was any place else because it was so well known to this group of kids and people you right. know who, like we want to listen to this fast underground music something where do we go where do we go to see it live oh we go to the mermaid pub so um one thing that i really wanted to say also was that napalm death had this um their lineup was really inconsistent they have like a big history of breaking up and getting back together and switching people out and um i think in in some sense that has a lot to do with the fact that they were 14 and 15 years old, you know, when they were playing these gigs and they were quite young. And in another sense, they were also developing really rapidly, um, you know, which a lot of teenagers do. And so they were really expanding what they wanted to do. So in 1985, uh, this like kind of punk sort of kid comes up to the band after they're playing their show. And he's like, Hey, 
I fucking love what you guys do. Napalm Death is the shit. And he started like coming to like all the shows on the weekends. Like every weekend he'd go and check out Napalm Death. And this guy's name was Mick Harris. Oh shit. Yeah, right. So so he's like, Hey, I've got a I've got a punk band, you guys should come like check us out. So the band, um, you know, they keep seeing him everywhere. So they go, they check out his band, and they're kind of like, Wow, this guy plays really fast on the drums. He's like, he's fucking shit up back there. And after the gig, he goes, Hey guys, um, let me show you what I can really do. And then he like played some drums for them and he played a quote unquote really fucking fast. Yeah. And I think it was at that moment that the other guys in the band were like, Hey guys, we need to get Rat out of the band. Yeah. Which like sucks for Rat. Yeah, right. It's like, dude, he's way better. Let's kick this other guy out. Yeah. Yeah. No allegiance. So, so they get him in the band and it seemed like there was an instant sort of magnetism like to the band and to Mick after he joined. Yeah. Like the crowd really enjoyed how fast he could play. And he had this sort of like polka beat sort of thing is how it was described in what I was reading. But he would like speed it up because he couldn't make his right hand like the timing hand go as f- like every beat like yes. it's kind of supposed to. But this sort of led to him getting better and better at playing this metal sort of stuff or like at least not straight up punk stuff. Um, and he sped it up and sped it up until eventually he's playing like 32nd, 64th notes, you know, that this really fast shit on the snare, bada bing, bada boom, the blast beat is born. Explosions. Explosions. That was my piece. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so he, uh, Mick Harris was basically the founder of, I guess, coining the term blast beat and also grindcore as well, because it was so grinding, man. Um, he, I guess, he even uh, got in a friendly uh, rivalry with uh, a band called Heresy, uh, Steve Charlesworth. So they kind of egged each other on, like, dude, I bet I can go fucking faster than you, <laughs> except in a British accent. So basically, they got their their lineup down for yeah. for this era, and they go into a studio and record scum. At least the ace or the scum. Napalm deaths come. <laughs> <laughs> And dropping hot clips. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hot loads. All right. Um yeah, it's crazy. $120 bought you two days in the studio. That's fucking a ripoff, man. No, I'm kidding. My studio, my studio's here. I know, right? Don't cost me nothing. But yeah, they, they recorded 12 tracks and this included the uh half second track, You Suffer. But why? Yeah. You suffer. Anyways, um, after doing all the research for this, I had to go back and listen to Scum again. I was I really enjoyed it, and I also got into listening to some um, Extreme Noise Terror, which I actually I don't think I've really ever gotten into listening to that kind of stuff. It was it was fucking awesome though. I definitely recommend it um, to anybody who hasn't really checked it out before. So are we in America yet? Yeah. No, man. Are we? <laughs> yeah, right now. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I guess we're in America now. Yeah, and I don't know, Matt, do you cover any deep wound or siege at all? 
No, I don't. No. Unfortunately, no. Sorry, but yeah, I mean it's 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 the same theme. Just kids wanting to play as fast as fucking possible. And um Deep Wound and Siege were just at the forefront of that. Williams from from Siege basically said that uh it was a special time to be discovering music. And that's what really like made me connect with this whole movement was because I remember being young and like finding bands like like when we all found Opeth together. Yeah. Like watching the uh Live Lamentations DVD and be like, holy shit, we need to buy everything from these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching the documentary of how they made that album and being like take notes about how to make albums right yeah now. exactly <laughs> yeah oh shit but yeah he had a rating system um it was the the <laughs> faster his mom came up the stairs to tell him to shut off the music the better the album was <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, and that whole like thrash movement uh like venom and like the new wave of british heavy metal like priest motorhead and stuff was a fuel for for their music as well yeah um they they had a different uh interesting way to kind of train to play faster which was and it, <laughs> it played acdc at 45 rpm i don't know what that means because i don't own like a legit well check it out player so so you can get them in 45s and 33 and a thirds so they're playing oh, okay. like 33 and a third at, at 45, 45. rpm yeah, so yeah. they're like super fucking way too fast yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah yeah i remember them saying something like if you play a certain motorhead song at 45 it's almost like a gallopy punk song and i was like oh okay i could yeah i could see that so um <laughs> so so they would like find these punk bands they would play these song these albums at 45 and then just be like we got to be faster we got to be the fast it was like a drug yeah like we're chasing the dragon, man. It was like Matt's first sexual experience. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, just the tip, just the tip. Um, yeah. So that was kind of in in um in short. I, they're from Boston, so that was that was the, kind of the scene from Boston a little bit was little East Coast deep deep wound and siege, and on uh, another in another city of uh, the U.S. Flint, Michigan, um, there are a couple friends, uh, Matt Olicio and Scott Carlson. Um, they were listening to Slayer. And they got a lot of inspiration from slash and horror films, which, hey, you know, what are what is death metal comprised of? Slash a lot of fucking gory lyrics. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> they were listening to bands like Discharge, which, uh, uh, you know, had lyrics of doom that described basically doom in its gory detail. And um, so they started a band called Tempter. And then later change it to ultra viol ultra violence. Yeah, because that sounds faster. Yeah, <laughs> ultra. It's not violence. It's ultra violence. And they fucking opened for Slayer in Flint, Michigan. 
Jesus, like, Jenny fucking Christ. That's fucking awesome. And I can't remember how that happened. I think it was that they, one of them was like promoting shows or something like that because yeah, they wanted uh, yeah. shows to come to them and they, no one would come to shitty Flint, Michigan. So they started promoting. Well, I remember Slayer was coming around and I think that they kept bugging like the promotion company to be like, we have to open for Slayer. Like you don't understand. We're the only band in the area that's even capable of opening for Slayer. And then they kept bugging them for a while. And after like a month or two, the promoter was like, okay, like fine, you get the gig kind of thing. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. They stopped bothering me. <laughs> yeah. Like, fine. I believe you. Nobody else is even trying. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they were still going by the name Ultraviolence, and um, in 1984 they changed it to de- to Genocide, and um, they tape traded with a young Chuck Schuldiner. Ooh. <laughs> okay, but that's Celtic Frost. Yeah. Um, <gasps> and and they they almost said it was like um, they sounded very similar. And it was almost like a match. I, w- I want to say made in heaven, but it's so fucking cliche. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, Chuck would send pictures of dead rats. And dead that sounds a little blackmail. I thought that was one of the weirdest things I read actually in the entire like research was that Chuck was sending pictures of dead rats. Although I did keep in mind Chuck got into playing guitar and getting into death metal because his older brother died in a car accident. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's Which by the way it doesn't describe that in the book. Well, it doesn't actually at all and I thought that was really weird that it didn't get into that. No. What I read was one reason should we talk about death right now real quick or no? Wait. Uh fine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. when, so when 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 it came to death making a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. He used that as inspiration because he wanted it to come to a good. Um, I can't remember how he said it, but like he wanted it to go to a good, like a use that incident for something positive. So making death metal was something positive. I mean, <laughs> that- naming the band death was something positive. I mean, in reality, like the reason, part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is because of bands like Death. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Chuck is, Chuck is a master and without the music that that he and his band Death produced, uh, you know, in some way, none of us would be doing this at all. Yeah. You know. I wonder what Death Metal would sound like. The Morbid Angel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you remind me of Rick and Morty there for a second. <laughs> Fuck you, Morty. <laughs> All right, sorry, Dino. Um, so at, at the time, Chuck Schuldner and Genocide, uh, they both disbanded, and they decided um, the Genocide folks drove to Chuck's house in Florida. <laughs> Wait, where where were they from again? I. Th- uh, I think Boston. Oh no, no, no sorry, Flint, Flint, Michigan. Yeah, that's sorry. a drive. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it was something. Yeah, it's a fucking long ass drive, and um, they played for months, and like Chuck worked at a fucking taqueria, like I don't know, Del were... Taco. Del Taco. Was it really? Yeah, yeah, he worked at Del Taco. Jesus. 
And they just they played together for months and nothing came of it. So they just like, okay, see ya. Like just, I found that like such a weird tangent. It was just like, yeah, they played together. And they left. Yeah. Sounds but then like a whore. But I mean I guess something came of it because um that's they basically rechristened the name Repulsion. So genocide turned into repulsion, which is, which awesome. is like one of the best, the biggest influential bands of death metal, I think. Yeah, dude, repulsion's the shit. And well, um, a, a recent band that we've, well, I think in one of our podcasts, I'm not sure if it's recent, but Do Scented, they actually did a cover of a repulsion song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that really weird because when I was like doing research and like listening to music and stuff, I came across, across Repulsion. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's why that song's covered, and it's covered a lot. And it's Radiation Sickness, I think. Like, I found like three bands that that cover that song, and it was just like, okay, well, yeah, Repulsion's badass. Yeah, Godfathers. When, Repulsion is bad. When was Repulsion, uh, I guess, released their music? 1986. Okay. And it says by 1986, they were, well, when it was still genocide, I guess, they were considered the fastest band in the world. But that was going to be taken by Napalm Death. Napalm Death was considered... In fact, that was like on their billing, like the fastest band in the world, Napalm Death. I wonder how many bands did that. Yeah, I wonder that too. I honestly think that Napalm Death was the fastest though at one point. Yeah. Like I think I think that they were the fastest when they said it. Well, cuz that was even earlier, right? That yeah. was in like 1984. Yeah. Probably even 85, I don't know, but um so I like to butt in real quick because you guys mentioned that Repulsion was a big influence on death metal. Yeah. Sorry. I like to add that Possessed was probably a bigger influence. We'll get there. <laughs> but no, but what I'm saying is we're in 86 right now. You said said? Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, is it's hard to cover stuff like this because so much is happening at the same time. I know. And that's the thing with, with the death metal scene at this moment is in the 80s, everybody was kind of doing the same thing at the same time and they didn't even know it. How? No, I don't. I disagree on some level. I think in some way, a lot of them knew about each other. And they yeah, were yeah, the it was a, trading. yeah right but, and there was like a feedback loop but of just destruction and yeah. chaos right but okay here's here's one of the the things like Chuck was actually like the the guy who would bring disease to and from Florida and San Francisco I feel because. <laughs> No, disease? No, 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 but no, but like, 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 like death metal was like a herpes. Yeah, yeah no, no, he was no, just no. like fucking. I'm trying to say in dumping like, clips in the chicks and <laughs> spreading just, disease. I'm just saying, no, no, no. I'm saying it in a positive way that, like, in a way, because he was going back and forth this, the Bay Area and in Florida, Tampa, Florida, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like he would bring bands demos from each place back and forth. Oh, so you think so, he was like the B pollinating yeah, exactly. uh, regions. That's, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. interesting. Because he moved back Jinx. and forth and even to Canada like a couple times within a short period. Did he go to Canada? Yeah. I know he went to he went to San Francisco a couple times. He couple even times. went to fucking Concord, California. You know, I think he did go to Canada. But you know why he went to Concord? 
we can get to that. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that. No, but okay. Wanna back to possessed. possessed. Yeah. Back to possessed. So possessed actually got together in 1983. And, and this is the, the same way, time from San Pablo, California. Yeah, exactly. Like this is literally like Around 20 minutes up the road from us. Like, um, there's no traffic right now, so it's literally five minutes. Up the road from us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but possessed and death actually kind of formed during the same time, and death at the time was then called mantis. Mantis. Yeah. Mantis. Right. So possessed again. 83, formed in San Francisco Bay Area. Um, let's see. Okay, go it might have been 82, bro. Yeah, by the way. Yeah, was it 82? I, well, the, I mean, it just could be differing facts. I don't really know. But ours is 82. Yeah, all the research and deadlines said 83. I don't care. <laughs> it <laughs> could have been fucking December 1982. Yeah. Shit. Fuck it, man. Um, but anyway... Uh, so they were actually big on like thrashy, thrashy sound, and they cited uh, some Slayer as well as Exodus as influences. I think Venom too. Yeah, sorry, Venom as well. Um, but they released their demo. They released a demo called uh, what is it? Uh, Death Metal. I think there was a demo just called Death Metal. From what my research, mm-hmm. and at the same time, the, was de- is it Death or Mantis? I can't remember. Released Death by Metal, right? So here you have yeah, that a, was in 1984. I think I think uh, Possessed was probably earlier. Yeah, but what I'm trying to get at is that the word death is being used quite often. Yeah. So there really was no term for the for the genre really place nobody said oh that's death metal not yet not yet but um who was it in possessed that jeff becerra yeah he he said he uh coined the term death metal for a uh when he had to write a paper in high school oh really yeah um, and plus black metal was already taken yes <laughs> I think it was like, oh, Venom can use black metal. Well, I'm just going to use death metal. You know what's interesting is I actually read uh, an interview with Samoth, and he was saying like, yeah, it's too bad that that death metal and black metal were were considered separate because in many ways they're actually very similar. Right. And um, he was saying that death metal sort of ended up having like a stagnation period and dying off, and black metal took like kind of took the forefront almost of like what was popular in the metal yeah. community. Yeah. And he was like, really though, all it was was just a difference in sort of title. You could have just as easily have said, there are these death metal bands with keyboards now. Right. And, yeah. you know, and, and like a higher pitch vo- vocals. And that's what kind of like led to the stag, you know, to the stagnation of the industry later. And anyways, I thought it was interesting to see that Samoth was talking about that. Yeah. Well, along with that too, is that Samoth is from Emperor guys. It's a black metal band. <laughs> if you're not aware. Um, one thing that I also found interesting was that the record companies kept trying to um, separate the two. By saying that you should hate each other, so that created a like a separation between the two well, genres. It's weird because, but remem- it didn't really exist. Remember when we were covering black metal, right? And they were saying that 
you know, like, oh, we didn't want to be like that stupid death metal bullshit that was happening. Yeah, like, there those, were a couple of guys that were saying there that. were a couple yeah, guys, those yeah. elitists, you know. But you know, I like Varg, I think, yeah, was exactly. One of them. Yeah, right. But going through like listening to interviews of um, guys from uh, Mayhem, I can't remember his name. Um, but anyway, he was like that. That that was a bunch of bullshit. Like that was created because. Um, they just wanted to capitalize on either black metal or death metal. I mean, maybe I don't know. Uh, what I, what I do know is that I don't trust anybody in mayhem to tell me shit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn son, I I don't like those guys are fucking shady. Um. Anyways, we're we're here to talk about death metal. Yeah. 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 So um. I guess after Possessed did their demo, they got signed with uh, Combat Records in 1984. Yes. Combat Records. Records. Whoever spit on my guitar, you fucking rotten hell right now. <laughs> the rest of you are cool. <laughs> so, again, Possessed was kind of... Uh, when, when Chuck Schuldner actually came over to the Bay Area, uh, Chuck actually heard of possessed from uh tape trading yeah and uh they were in line to, for something or or something like that and chuck actually mentioned that he wanted to sound a lot more like these guys and which is interesting because when you listen to the their first albums side by side they in a way sound kind of similar which by the way death did scream bloody gore and possessed with seven churches yeah yeah although i think the convert the conversation about being in line when they were mantis though is is obviously before scream bloody gore yes oh yeah it was yeah yeah no this is was still i think I'm they, saying, yeah. they listened to the demo which okay. was before scream bloody gore was released yeah, yeah. um i want to mention something about possess uh first record so um it was called seven churches and it was recorded in Katati, California, which is probably like 40 minutes from here. <laughs> which is really weird because it seems like the last place I'd recorded. I know. Album. Yeah. And uh, it's called Prairie Sun Stu- quiet, Studios. Man. Yeah, it is. And it was basically on a like a chicken farm. Like, yeah. It was well, on yeah. a farm. No, they recorded it in like the chicken coop area, some of the yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, Jeff Bracera, he's he nicknames that album Seven Chickens. <laughs> Because of that, and he said that um, when they would start playing, that the animals would go to the other side of the farm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was like, even the animals don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And another thing about that album that I found was really interesting was he said that the vocals are a lighter version of what he could actually do. Like it, like they they were much, uh, I guess and lack of a better term is more evil and interesting it was kind of a uh he got the vocal style from like chronos from venom and tom araya from slayer and he, he said like the their earlier stuff would be a lot more harsh whereas seven churches was just a calm down version right so i was like wow i'm surprised he like kind of backed off a little bit yeah, and he was saying that like his vocals are basically just him screaming on that album. Yeah, yeah, out in the chicken coops. I thought we saw Possessed Life. Uh, I, I don't think so. No, I think we saw Autopsy, bro, when they got back together. 
Mm, I remember You're seeing. In San Francisco? I remember because isn't isn't Jeff now in a wheelchair? Yeah. I never saw them. If you guys did, okay. I thought I remember seeing. Yeah, them I much. never. Dude, if, yeah. if if they were playing shows, I don't know. I definitely didn't see it. I know that. I remember. Is that the word film? I vaguely. I I swear to God, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I would remember that. Yeah, no, that's not me. Either, I either didn't see it or he was singing for a different band. One of the two. Yeah, that that might have been what it is. What it was because I think he sung like. Well, no, oh. because there was Exodus too. Didn't he come out for and like a Chuck, song? Chuck oh, Billy, maybe that's Chuck what it Billy was. Also came. Yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, can't I remember what it was. You might be correct, bro. You might be right. About it was this. like a whole barrier thrash. But it wasn't possessed. Together. But possessed wasn't there. No, no. But he, he came there. on stage. I remember him rolling around. Yeah. Which, on a side note, Jeff Bracera, like the reason why he's in a wheelchair is because he got mugged. Yep. And I think he got shot twice, and the first shot hit his his spinal cord. Oof. And while he was falling, the second shot I think actually ripped off the tip of his finger. Fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, should we get back to death though? Yeah, sure. Okay. I guess to get to death, we need to. Go back before Mantis was born. So we're going back to high school with a fellow named Barney Lee and Frederick DeLillo. Um, so they started their own band because they both bonded over like a mutual love of Venom and Merciful Fate. And I'm sick of hearing about Venom, man. Are you really? <laughs> <laughs> Influential, man. They started everything. She go stand in the corner, son. Um... Anyways, yeah, they met in high school and uh, Frederick was sort of like, he was like drawing like fucked up pictures of like zombies and gore and shit. And uh, I guess Barney saw it and he he kind of enjoyed it. And then they started bonding over music and playing together. And uh, they both sort of changed their names. So um, Delillo became Rick Ross, who people might remember as being, you know, the original guitar player for uh, Death. Yes. And... You know, Barney Lee, give you fucking three guesses to figure out who he became. Can't Camley. No way. Which, by the way, is not really an improvement. I don't. I mean, yeah. Just, um, yeah. So they started jamming together as Mantis and Cam was actually doing the vocals originally for the band. Yeah. Um, I think at he some still point, does vocals, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But like at some point, I think both him and Chuck were doing vocals. They were. I think that over time, Chuck was trying to get more and more into that role. Yeah. And Cam was also trying to get out of the role of being a drummer, which yeah. created some conflict. Um. So by the time they had kind of run into Chuck, who had also sort of you know been wanting to make this uh, extreme music, and you know of course he's. Bad shit's happening in his life. He's sending pictures of dead rats to people. <laughs> um, he'd only been playing guitar for like six or seven months. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, they're getting together. They're jamming at Chuck's house in his parents' garage. And uh, they release an album uh, under the Mantis moniker, uh, Death by Metal. Correct? That's yes. under Mantis? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in the summer summer of 1984, they released Reign of Terror. Um, so that was... Oh, I'm so sorry. Death by Metal was in the summer and Reign of Terror was in October. Fall. Yes. Two different seasons. 
Um, so then Chuck discovers possessed and he's possessed by possessed. Yes. And they're possessing sound. Now, the reason why he discovered possessed again was because he came to California, right? To find a drummer. Is that the truth? I don't think that's the truth, bro. I think it was just through general tape trading because he still had cam. So why is he looking for a drummer? Because didn't, didn't, he didn't, um, what's his face? You think cam left? At that time? Uh, I don't think so. I th- after they came up with the name Death, um, Lee and Ross left. Yeah. And he found uh, the guy who started an aut- autopsy. Chris Reifert? Yes. Because didn't, he play, so, didn't so he play the drums? I, I was just thinking about this. Yeah. Because at some point they come back to Death, right? Don't Cam and Rick? Yeah. Yeah, on um, Leprosy. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what ends up happening is, um, he, he ends up finding, finding out about possessed either through tape trading or through just randomly traveling. And, um, he ends up getting their drummer to play on the first album under the death moniker, um, scream bloody gore. Now the interesting thing is, is that on the, like the first recording of this album was fucking terrible and the record company actually completely scrapped it and had them go back and re-record the entire album because it sounded like shit. Um, but obviously the next recording of it sounded awesome because scream bloody gore is a fucking classic. Yeah. It's an amazing record. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So not too long after that, uh, Reifert went back to continue, uh in california and chuck basically had nobody you know in his band again so this is another band that sort of keeps breaking up and getting back together and it just eventually just becomes yeah it's death equals chuck and then chuck just gets random people to fill in yeah because every fucking album is different besides like maybe uh what steve DiGiorgio, one of the famous death metal bass players sticks around for two albums and gene hoagland sticks around for two albums well, and like I but, think that's it. Yeah, well, but part, part of the reason why the Giorgio is on two albums though is uh, is because the Giorgio was unhappy with the mixing on individual thought pattern. I mean, on um, human on human, and so Chuck felt bad about it and actually invited him back to do another album so that he could like mix him higher. Properly. Basically, that was basically like what the gist of why yeah. he's on two albums. Sorry, bro. No, but I mean, I solid. I feel the the way he went through musicians also death progressed as a band. Yeah, like he sought things he didn't have. Yeah, and then he like learned. And yeah. not only that is that yeah exactly. So he learned from other musicians that he did not have, and yeah. the band just got more and more modern. I mean, he like redefined the genre. Like well, throughout with each release, basically, yeah. 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 Matt, you're right. I mean, even before even Scream Bloody Gore came out, though, Chuck was sort of in a funk to back up a bit. And he was traveling, trying to join other bands and other things. And he was all he he went back and forth quite a bit and things just didn't work out. And he ended up back at his parents' house. By the way, Chuck's parents come across as amazing parents. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I read it being like, you know, if you're like, if Chuck didn't become what he was, they would have been shitty parents. And I can't figure out like what, like it's, I don't know. There's like a line somewhere there that's crossed because of Chuck's success. 
but like in some ways it's like did they ever i wonder if they ever had a conversation like son you've tried to join like four different bands now and you've traveled the country and we've been paying for you to do that and like yeah. you need to stop working at del taco and go to college like i wonder if that ever happened or if it was just like no like Boy, he's, he's gonna be a guitar player he's, forever he's dealing with his brother's death like that's He's going through a phase right now. We should we should uh, support him while he travels to San Francisco like twice in a year. In Canada, <laughs> yeah, they were they were totally awesome and supportive. Um, and but, yeah, a, uh, a quick thing is uh, Cam Lee. Um, he went to play with the band uh, Massacre, which yeah. is kind of a. I wouldn't say seminal band, but no, they're, they're kind of a big deal because Massacre. Uh, was one of the actually might have been the first band to really get low and guttural with the vocals. Cam wanted to keep getting lower and lower, yeah. and really push that boundary, and so they were they were pretty influential as far as that style goes. And people commented on the vocals and said, "Dude, it sounds like you're vomiting." Yeah, and so he dubbed it "Death Vomit Vocals." I I feel they would have had a a, a bigger um, involvement with death metal in the beginning mm -hmm. if they didn't get screwed over by the record company because from what i was uh researching was when they went to go uh, release their demo like it was delayed by two years i didn't realize that yeah so yeah. their demo didn't get released until the late 80s and at that time possessed and uh death already released their records Dude, also, though, I mean, Massacre, here's the thing is that Rick Ross was really difficult to get along with. And, like, Rick Ross was also in Massacre yeah. with Cam. Yeah. And after recording the demo and stuff, not too long after that, they split up again. Just Dude, it because, was constant. Yeah, those two do not get along. And I don't know whether it's Rick or whether it's Cam and Rick. Well, um, Cam also joined Massacre and basically just said, like, I mean, they they were doing covers of Anthrax and Overkill, and Cam was like, "Dude, you guys like fucking suck. You have to start from scratch. Like yeah. you you have to start over." So the, here's a band like, "Well, but we you know we liked what we were playing, but they they agreed with Cam, like, oh because, yeah, you're right." Well, you know why though is because Cam already had that established like. He already had the persona developed from doing the vocals for, for Mantis, like around the area. So they already knew what he sounded like. Right. And so when he approached them and was like, look, guys, I'll sing for you. But like all this bullshit needs to stop and we got to start over. They were like, yeah, if we it, like this guy is awesome, if we're going to have him in our band, like, let's just let's yeah. try and let's let's be different now kind of thing. And then Rick joined after that, I think, after Cam joined. Yeah. Um, no, no, I like that though. During when, so again, on the on the in Florida, there was other bands being created. Right when um, Scream Bloody Gore was released, there was a demo called Raging Death, and that had a couple bands in there that might sound familiar. Oh yeah. So we have. Find the Arise song. Sound familiar? Find the Arise! Yeah, so this was pre-obituary, but at the time it was called Executioner. Oh, okay. We're going yeah. to obituary. The yeah. motherfucking Tardy Brothers, bro. Yeah. Always so, Tardy for class. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, go ahead. So anyway, the demo was released in 87, and 
it was interesting to read a, a couple reviews on it back in the day because they the guys who reviewed it definitely called called it with who's going to be successful and not. So um, again, finally arise done uh, by executioner, which they had problems with that name. Yeah, what was the reasoning for that? Other um, people, I think, uh, also had, had the same name. Yeah. So but didn't they, they just change it to, instead of EX, to just X? X, E, yeah. So, yeah. so here's the real deal is when they <laughs> were getting signed, the label was like, no, just change it to yeah, something else. Yeah, so then they changed it to obituary. Yeah. But um, there's also a couple bands on the, on the Raging Death album. Uh, Lethal Presence, I think they were actually a Christian band. Um, well, no, no, I was, never read no, no, that. No, 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 it was Betrayal. That's what it was. Okay. I think it was Betrayal. And then there was uh, a band called Ravage, which actually they have a cool name. Yeah, it stands for something. I fucking, yeah, okay. So it means it stands for Raging Atheists, Atheists Vowing a, a Gory End. All right, yeah, so yeah. uh, and then Sadis. San Francisco Barrier Band. Yeah, I fucking love it. That's just Steve DiGiorgio. Yeah, again, Steve DiGiorgio. Yeah. And they were out of Antioch. Yeah. Yeah. Antioch. So anyway, the the review at this time basically said Executioner and Ravage are the only their four songs combined together. That that's new. That's like amazing sounding. Like it's really well done. So Ravage then changed or changed their name to Atheist, right? Oh yeah, that's right. And then uh, Executioner turned to Obituary. Wait, was this record that came out? Was it an eight-track record? Um, was it? It was. It was a tape. Okay. It was a you know a B side. Okay, because um, I have a note here that says that it an eight-track record was and i think it was executioner's demo or they might have been their own demo but it was recorded in morris sound this is very possible yes okay i didn't again my notes but morris sound studios is and i think we'll get to this in a different episode was one of the main locations where a shit ton of bands yeah in general was yeah it was the hub of like recording I think almost metal in general, but mainly in the Florida scene. They were out of um, shit, uh, Tampa, I think. Yeah, and it it grew though. It grew even more than that. Like eventually, when the scene was really exploding and Napalm Death wanted to go more toward death metal and less toward like their grindcore style stuff that they were that they were pioneering. Yeah, they were like they heard Leprosy and they all kind of said, "We need to sound as good." Yeah. As that album right. sounds. And so they went to Morrison to record there. Yeah. yeah. So um Executioner, uh, that's where Scott Burns got his his start, basically. So what do you call him? He's he's a producer? He's because I don't think he was an engineer. I thought he was both. He was like all the above. Because he was like the guy. Cause I remember he kept on like saying, No, again. Yeah, which by again. the way. Towards the end of the book, people were like, dude, death metal declined because Scott Burns was such a shitty fucking producer. And Really? Yeah. 
there was a couple bands that said that. Like, dude, he put out the same muddy shit fucking album after album. And Scott actually, like, admits to it at some point. Wow. Like, and I think in 1995 is when he stopped. And um, he ended up uh, going to school for something else. But, yeah, it was kind of funny that... um, he was just like, dude, I, you know, like at some point you kind of get comfortable with what you're doing yeah. on records. And he just like, he had to do so many with so little budget and so little time that he ended up just going to these tricks and the tricks just made things sound the same. Yeah. And nothing was being pushed in the industry. And I, th- I think eventually everything just kind of started stagnating. Yeah. If we're talking about obituary, we have to mention. Oh, I know what you're gonna fucking. No, say. no, no, no. I actually was gonna go earlier. Okay. They started in fucking elementary school. Yeah, they did. <laughs> in 1980. Yeah. They fucking started so early. Yeah, but they they actually stated that they formed as a bands. Yeah. Under whatever name at the time in 1984. Yeah, I mean, I think that they were probably interested, and it was just the Tardy brothers, which was uh, John and Donald Tardy. Yeah. And I think they ended up going over to a friend's house who had instruments to play, like a drum set, a guitar. Eventually, though, they started jamming in their own garage. Yeah. And they also, I think they were, didn't they have an older brother or something that listened to, like, Leonard Skinner and stuff? So, you know, they weren't... They weren't like just straight out the gate death metal. Yeah. Like, they weren't just like, yeah, drop it down. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What, what was that last word, by the way? No. Oh, okay. Which I don't think that. Tra- okay. So you're setting us up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what I do here. That's what we do. Do you go ahead, dude? Um, so basically, I, th- I think especially in the first record of Obituary, which is <laughs> Slowly, Slowly We Rot. <laughs> he doesn't even pronounce all the anything. Yeah, so he would just, he the band would jam and he would start coming up with lyrics, but wouldn't finish them. He just started doing guttural grunts and what he thought sounded good. So there aren't lyrics to the first album because some of them aren't actually lyrics they're just noises which is actually what's really weird is like wow that sounds kind of strange and like in a lot of ways i feel like if a band were doing that right now people would be like they can't they don't even write their own like who cares back then it was like a huge selling point for the band Uh. it was like a big deal people were like this shit is so fucking aggressive that the guy is just like grunting into the. I mic. wonder if he ever made up lyrics years later. Like I'm gonna put these here, so when I play live on this, goes, like, yeah. I, how do you remember it? Like how do you like? Oh yeah, it's good. <laughs> and then I go. <laughs> Basically, like I listened to "Slowly We Rot" the other day, yeah, and I was so just like, I. "Yeah, I can't." Like half the shit is not words. <laughs> I gotta tell you though, dude, I fucking love that album. Dude. It's good. It's great. Yeah. yeah. But God yeah, damn. that's just a kind of a. I mean, that's. When did Slowly We Rock come out? Uh, eighty nine. Yeah. God, together for nine years. By the it, way, it actually would have been really sooner too. 
Um, what do you mean? You well, can't do that and itch your nipple like that. It's not. <laughs> Sorry, I just itch, man. Um, uh, no, it, it would have been released a year sooner if they didn't have lineup change. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, anyways, no, we'll we'll get to that later, I guess. Um, should we move on to? Should we move on to Morbid Angel? Yeah, because while we're in nineteen eighty four, real quick, that's when um, uh, Morbid Angel forms. It's also, I think they graduated high school back then. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. From what I understand, as well, they were in eleventh grade when they met, and it's George Emmanuel the Third and Mike Browning from Tampa, Florida. Should we just say who George Emmanuel the Third? Yeah, because nobody knows who that is. Yeah, who is George Emmanuel the Third? Who whose name is George Emmanuel the Thor- the Third? <laughs> I have I had trouble as well. Trey, Trey Azagoth. Yes. Yeah. Meaning, well, as as Azagoth meaning Lord of Chaos. Yeah. And he basically started, you know, becoming like a huge innovator and virtuoso in the death metal. Yeah. Yeah. Like every, everybody can pretty much testify that it was because of his guitar playing that made them go to 11. Yeah. Everybody was like, holy shit, bro. I didn't realize you could fuck shit up like that. Um, so, but anyways, George Emmanuel III and Mike Browning uh, were from Tampa. And, and of course, like we said, they met in the 11th grade and they bonded over their love of bands like Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden, which of course gives no hints <laughs> to the type of music as to they where they're going to go. <laughs> uh, they formed like a metal cover band called Ice. And like we said, they graduated in 1984. Um, George wanted to start mixing stuff like Slayer and Merciful Fate together. Fuck yeah. And they changed their name to Heretic, but... Of course, there's already a great band named Heretic. Um, so when they realized that that was going on, they changed their name and they made it Morbid Angel. Which is much better. Yeah, which is, of course, fucking awesome. Yeah. Evil. Uh, it was around this time that George changed his name officially to Trey Azagthoth. And he started um, changing his lyric approach to the music they were they were writing to kind of satanic um occult style stuff and he was just lifting shit from the necronomicon and uh, this is where they hired that uh that singer who was named kenny bammer <laughs> bammer yeah bammer dude um and he sung falsettos like king diamond <laughs> i would love to hear this yeah, yeah i would love to hear it too i I can't really conceptualize what that sounds I like. I know. Yeah. Over. And he, so he paid for their first demo. Yeah. That's why he was in the band. Yeah. Ah, kind that of, makes sense. Now. That's so interesting. And I can't, I, I didn't write down the name of the demo. Yeah. I don't I wonder know if it's, is. I wonder if it's anywhere to be found. That would be so fucking awesome. Oh my God. I might be able to find it. Hold on. But you continue. But, um, uh, so yeah, he, they were found by David Vin- Vincent, um, who was in Charlotte, and they recorded uh, an LP called Abominations of Desolation in 1986 in Vincent's embryonic Gar- Garoque Records. 
What's interesting is Vincent was actually playing bass in a punk band before he joined Morbid Angel. And he sort of joined Morbid Angel because he found out about them through tape trading, right? Yeah. And then when he like talked to them, he realized that they didn't have a bass player before they were going to record. So he just sort of ended up being tossed into the band that way. Yeah. So um, after they were done recording, um, I think a couple of the band members liked the album, but Trey fucking hated it. And um, he ended up dissolving Morbid Angel because of it. Wow. He, he So everyone was kicked out. Um, and uh, except I think one, <coughs> excuse me, one person. And they moved uh, back to Charlotte to play with David Vincent and um, drummer Wayne Hartzell. And uh, they... Moved into a house, a six-bedroom house, and Trey describes it as sort of like a life. It wasn't just like the circumstance; it was like a lifestyle. It was a they did everything brutally, and then they <laughs> and then they partied all night. Yeah, so they they would they all worked at a car wash, and um, Carl Sanders of Nile at the time who's been in the scene for fucking ever. Yeah. But um, he said there was a time in Charlotte where you can go and get your car washed by Morbid Angel. <laughs> and so they would do their job in the day, come back at night, and jam all throughout the night in their six-bedroom house. And they would also have uh, these these competitions almost where everyone would put in whatever record they they liked and just try to blast each other out of their room with their stereos. <laughs> and I think the only person who couldn't afford or who didn't participate was the drummer Hartzell because he couldn't afford a good enough system. <laughs> I feel bad for Hartzell because inevitably he's pushed out of the band, right? Yeah. Um, or leaves the band. I think he leaves, yeah. Which leads us to Pete Sandoval. Yes. Um, so I feel like if we're going to talk about Pete, we actually need to backtrack to Terrorizer, right? In LA? Yes. Let's go back in time. So Terrorizer was an LA-based band uh, in the early 80s. They were um, Oscar Garcia, Eric Castro, and Carlos Riveles. Um, after the band Master's first demo, I guess is when they formed um like is that's that's what inspired them yeah so after they they heard the band master yeah then they formed yeah. right okay yeah, yeah that's, that's what that, I that was what inspired them to make their first demo okay i just wanted to make yeah. sure so yeah so uh they heard about uh, master's first demo they were super into it and then they all sort of bonded over their love of the extreme music and they got together and started fucking shit up um so they talked about uh, how like tape trading at the time was almost like an addiction. They had to like keep getting deeper and deeper into the scene and keep learning about like new shit and like pushing their own envelope. But um, eventually they sort of stagnated as a band um, and they weren't really playing a lot of gigs and everybody was kind of like doing adulty style stuff and not really uh, involved in it anymore and um while they were playing some gigs i think they only played two or three gigs a year at some point 
during this time they had happened on, on Pete Sandoval and um, what ended up happening is that somehow their tapes, I think, uh, got over to David Vincent. David Vincent was in contact with them. Yeah. And when Morbid Angel's drummer left Morbid Angel, Pete contacted Terrorizer and was like, hey, are you guys still active? Are you doing anything? And they were like, no, not really. Like, we're all kind of like just kind of playing a couple gigs every now and then. And it's not really like a big deal. And he was like, "Hey, what's your, you know, your drummer's phone number? I want to give him a call." Yeah. And then he was like, "Oh, Pete, like, here's his phone number." And then, um, he was basically like, "Yeah, um, can I ask Pete to join my band?" Like, and they were like, <laughs> "They were like, yeah, like we're not doing shit right now, yeah. so go right ahead." And so he calls Pete, and Pete, I think within two days. Yeah. Was on a was on a, a a bus ride or a plane? I think like a bus sold ride, his, right? He sold his van or something, and yeah, then just yeah. like fucking travel across the country, yeah. all, all the way over to um to. They weren't in Florida at the time, were they? Weren't they? No, somewhere else? I I think they no, they were in Florida. They were in Florida. They were in Daytona the Beach, Florida. Okay, in 1988. Yeah, so he goes there, and here's the kicker: is that Pete Sandoval does not play double bass. He doesn't play quick like quick like that. He's like a single pedal guy. So over like a two month period while the band is rehearsing the material and Pete's like learning it, the band like leaves the house to go to work, right? I guess at the car wash. And Pete is stays home and he's just practicing how to do like the double kick drum thing all, all fucking, fucking day. day. For two fucking months, and the band would come home, and he would be like passed out, all sweaty and like disgust- <laughs> disgusting on the floor. And them coming home would wake him up, and uh, he'd be like, "What time is it?" And they're like, "Oh, we just got back from work." And he'd be like, "I gotta go back to work, man. I gotta, I gotta keep practicing." And he'd just get back up and go on the bass drums, doing hair diddles and stuff. Anyway, so yeah, you hear him on Altars of Madness. That's two months. From zero to that. Yeah. That's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's like he's he's like my inspiration whenever I think I can't do something. I'm like, Pete Sandoval did it. Yeah. 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 Alters of Madness was released in 89, right? You're probably right because they ended up contacting the, the guys from Immolation up in um, New York City, um, New Jersey area. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, again, I think it was David Vincent. He seemed to know everybody. And he uh, orchestrated a mini tour up and down the coast. And that was before they had released uh, Alters of Madness. Yeah. Anybody want to take a stab at Amon? Oh, we're going that route now. Are we going that route? We can. Glenn Benton belongs to them <laughs> oh my god um we were just talking about glenn a little bit while you were using the little boys room yeah that was a big boys room that <laughs> that guy's a fucking character yeah, he's interesting he he's interesting um so glenn benton uh basically his parent his family was christian catholic christian yeah they're christian yeah and um his mom had a sunday school and glenn went to this sunday school 
And he just wanted to go because he wanted to drink the fucking fruit punch and eat the snacks and pick on kids. So his own mother fucking kicked him out of the Sunday school. Yeah. And his dad thought he was um, possessed, I think. Wait, was it possessed or just that he was evil? Both. Both of those were used. And, um, And... yeah, and he said, oh, but, you know, what does that fucking matter? He also told me to become a plumber, too. So, you know. Yeah, his family sounds like fucking douchebags. Yeah, yeah. So, except his aunt, who was a uh, practicing witch. And so he he kind of latched to her a little bit. Um, of course, because she's interesting. She was kind. Yeah. She's a witch. She she understood him. My mother yeah. was a witch, which is clef. Um, but yeah, he he started his own band, Amon, and uh, they started playing, or they they came out with a demo. I don't know what year, um, but it was uh, called Feasting the Beast, and when they would play live shows, uh, Glenn filled up mannequins with blood and pig guts. And would fucking tear them apart on stage. And he's like, even though, you know, there was like 25 people in the audience, they would all leave splattered in blood. <laughs> it's like, God damn, man. Fucking awesome. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into him more. I mean, he's he's around. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of the song right now. The, Which one? The Deicide song. Because Amon ends up becoming Deicide. Right. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, I mean, Which one? Once Upon the Cross? Yeah, Once Upon the Cross. Oh, God. Such a good song. Yeah, Once Upon the Cross kicks ass. Yeah. That whole album is so fucking amazing, dude. I love that album. They got a bunch of great shit, dude. Dead by Dawn. It's great. I remember there was a time where we didn't like the aside. Yeah. Yeah, when I was younger, it took me a while to get into them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's weird because I yeah I go back to a lot of that stuff and I'm like man this this actually kicks a lot of ass like why didn't I like I was very particular about vocalists and just like certain sounds of bands that had to get past it. Yeah man, yeah I I I was the same way growing up. I think the older I get, the more and more inclusive I become with what I listen to. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a truism. Um, and then while I was reading this book, I put together fucking playlists of like influential bands and first starting bands and demos and all this stuff. And it's just like this massive list of like, man, all this stuff like kicks ass. Which makes you want to go back for anybody who doesn't know uh, Morbid Angels Abominations of Desolation. So that was released as a demo originally, but later it was released as an LP. So you can go back and listen to it. And um, I think the uber hardcore fans think of that as like the best album. Again. That it's a great it's a great album. But here here's a something that happens in the scene is like, uh, and I don't know how popular I'm gonna I'm more you know for saying this, but um, in some ways, in this scene, which is sort of already kind of not as popular as it could be, you know, it's kind of underground um we really run the risk of being 
hipsters, just a different kind of hipster. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the people that think Abominations of Desolation is the best Morbid Angel record. And there are also the people that probably think that Mantis is better than Death and all that kind of shit. And that's my own two cents on that. Well, yeah, because Abominations of Desolation, I mean, even Trey himself, he he, that's technically their first album, but he almost like he he doesn't believe it to be like Altars of Madness is his first album in yeah. his mind. Like well, it's of... actually the first real official release. Also, like Abominations was released after Altars of Madness on a label. Like Abominations was a demo first. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't know. In the book, it said LP. I think it was released as an LP later, unless I'm mistaken. Right. This is in 1986, from David Vincent's Garoke record or Garoke, yeah, Garoke Records. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that when I was reading about it, it was a, it was not a, uh, it wasn't considered like a full album. Yeah, but anyway, the, Trey fucking split up the band because of it. He fucking hated it that bad. He was like, I need to start over. Yeah, he was like, fuck all this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where it's it, actually a pretty good album, though. Honestly, I like it. Yeah. But, I I mean, it, do you know if it's it's probably been remastered, remixed? No, I think it's pretty pretty much the same way it was. Just, just raw. Well, I mean, yeah. here on the on the release, it's or looking through details, Alters of Madness, released in 89. And then it says it's a demo. And it was re- released in 1991. Okay. Don't so. argue with my morbid angel knowledge. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the book, it says 86. I'm, f- I'm sorry. I'm just trying to like, you know. Yeah. I mean, all the research Don't I, fuck I with have me, done. Bro. Hey, man. I just want to let you know. I've been listening to morbid angel for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that might do it for this episode, though. Yeah. So I think next time we're probably going to talk about Swedish singing yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and I think uh, not only just the Swedish scene, but also sort of the earache and all these little labels and stuff sort of becoming in league with larger labels and and sort of the industrialization, like the wide-scale industrialization of... That's the wrong word. Industrialization is when you make shit. The wide-scale, like, appeal. becoming... Yeah, appeal, popularization, or like you know, big record labels getting involved, that ha- that starts to come into play also, um, big time. You know, when later, like when Morbid Angel uh, releases Domination. But that's to be talked about later. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we didn't get into Carcass at all, which is a huge fucking thing. That's a big thing. Yeah. And, and John Peel. Yeah. So there's a lot coming, guys. The next episode is going to be fucking jam-packed full of shit. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely jam-packed. Um, oh. I would like to say I know that uh, it's been a while since we've released our last episode, and I want to thank anybody who is you know listening and, and hopefully enjoying. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. And if you have any notes or anything to add or corrections or anything, you can feel free to write us at metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. Uh, metal news reviews at gmail.com metal news reviews at gmail.com um, and you can also visit us on Facebook at metallurgy there's one L in that official 
at Facebook. So, uh, yeah, leave comments, email us, uh, send us bands that you like so we can listen to cool new shit and maybe we'll send you some shit back. And review it too. Fuck it. Yeah, maybe Let's we'll fucking review that shit. Send yeah. us your demos. For yeah, real. Yeah. That'd be pretty Fuck, cool. if you're playing in the band, send us your demos. I'm down for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as as long as we get the rights to play it on air, that would be fucking awesome. Yeah, let us play your shit. Why not? You know? Let's get it out there. Let's make it happen. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you guys listening. Yeah, to thank be you. continued. To be continued. All right. This is Dino. This is Matt. This is Martin. Signing off. Good job tonight. <laughs> Good job.